Alright, well great to see everyone, my name is Tim, it's nice to have you here. Um, what a gorgeous weekend, what a big few days, well done Victoria. Uh, by all accounts the Restoration Day course was brilliant, so well done. Uh, we're finishing off our series in What Did Jesus Teach over the next three weeks, which is on the Sermon on the Mount, and then we'll launch into something new. So if you've got your Bibles, you can already start turning them to... Uh, Matthew chapter 7. But the premise has been that if we're going to be disciples, um, we need to know what Jesus taught, um, what we are getting discipled into, this life of the kingdom. And just look, one reminder, one thing we said at the beginning of this series is that we must never separate the preacher on the mount from the sermon on the mount. So Jesus is going to set an incredibly high bar for us. He's going to say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, but then this is also the same Jesus who shows incredible mercy upon the sinful and the broken um, and the sick. So we've got to hold these two together. The preacher on the mount and the sermon on the mount. Alright, so we come to another amazing passage um, which is really about prayer and knowing and receiving from our Heavenly Father. Um, if, it, if you're anything like me... Today's passage is going to raise a bunch of questions uh, about prayer. Um, after, you know, if you're like me, I've got unanswered, I've got unanswered prayers in my life. Um, for instance, I regularly pray for a, 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 a small stomach and a big bank account, and I keep on getting a big stomach and a small bank account. Um, uh, you know, our whole family are in prayer that I'll grow hair on the top of my head. Uh, but the answer seems to be hair on my shoulders. Uh, <laughs> Alright, jokes aside. Um, the efficacy of prayer is a big thing, right? We, 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 we do question, why do we pray? And where is God when we pray? Because I, I think it would be honest of me to say that sometimes we don't seem to get heaps of movement on the things that we've been praying for. And we start to wonder, can we take Jesus at his word um, in this passage? Can we, can we believe that what he says uh, is true? And then the flip side of that is, if any of you may know some people, let's call them the prayer fairies or the direct liners, and like everything they pray for just happens, right? You know these people? Like every prayer they ever pray seems to manifest and, and come to fruition. So what's this whole, you're a prayer fairy. You're a direct liner. Maybe you should be giving this sermon. Hey. Come on, up you get. Um, so what's this whole prayer thing about? You know, and hopefully we're going to get some answers about that today. And from thinking about the access that we get to God, that comes through Jesus. So Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Amen. 
So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the access we now have to our Father in Heaven through Jesus. I want to talk about the meat of this passage, asking, seeking, knocking. And then finally, I want to talk about fostering or developing our relationship with God through prayer. Does that sound good? Yeah. Alright, firstly, access to the Father through Jesus. Now, for those of you who've known me for longer than three minutes, you know how difficult it is for me to preach on a passage about knocking on a door and it being opened and to not tell my story about how I got to hang out with Bono in Dublin. Uh, I think we've got the stare I am just hanging out with my mate. So don't worry this morning, I am not going to tell you the story about how we knocked on the door uh, where they were recording. I'm not going to tell you the story about how Bono opened the door and invited me in and we then spent 45 minutes hanging out with Bono from YouTube. And don't worry, I've been told not to, definitely not to, go on about how they played a song for us that they just finished recording. Alright? So I'm not going to tell any of that story, okay? Tell the story. No, that basically was the story. <laughs> Uh, but actually, the reason that is a good story because it's all about access, right? It's about access. The remarkable effects of knocking and actually having the door open. Alright, we can move on from that photo. <laughs> now, here's what one of the remarkable claims of Christianity is that we can not only know God, but have access to our Creator in a personal relationship. Uh, we don't get to know God just from afar. Someone we can learn about, observing what he or may or may not be like. Uh, but instead we get access to a personal relationship. And it's one where Jesus, who reveals the Father to us, encourages us by faith to pray to our Heavenly Father and that we should actually expect a response. Ask and it will be given to you. Uh, Romans 5.2 puts it this way. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith. We've got access to God through Jesus. Hebrews 10.19 explains it this way. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain. It seems to suggest that... Um, through Jesus, through his death, through his blood shed upon the cross, his sacrifice is opened up access to the most holy place, to, to, to God's presence. Now as I'm prone to do, I got a bit obsessed with just one thing in the Bible this week. And I followed all the rabbit holes um, with this concept of access. And particularly this week, as it relates to the idea of the curtain. Oh, I got obsessed with curtains this week. Um, I don't know what you do with your week, but I spent a lot of week researching curtains. Um, eventually the security guard at Spot guard, Spotlight threw me out. But, uh, <laughs> but many of you will know, who, um, one of the seemingly stranger things that happens when Jesus dies on the cross, he says it is finished. And then right after that we read that the curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. 
Right, Matthew 27, 50. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So what's this all about? Well, again, it's about, it's about access. Uh, so come with me to the Old Testament. I told you I've got to be obsessed with curtains this week. Now, your main chapter for curtain information in the Bible is Exodus 26. If you love curtains, read Exodus 26. I, I counted it up. 24 times we read the word curtain in one chapter. Here's the gist. After the Exodus, the giving of the law, God calls his people, and particularly his priests, to build for him a tabernacle, right? The idea of the tabernacle is it was where God was to meet with his people, his children. And here's the thing, almost no one has access to God, right? Uh, the high priest would make a sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, blood would be shed. And then that high priest would be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. So this amazing curtain is made to separate the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, from where people could enter into. And it makes sense, right? If God's holy and we're not holy, then if we're to go into his presence, um, we, can't, we, can't, we can't bear his glory, his holiness, because of our unholiness. We need a sacrifice to be made and a curtain to separate us between us and God. So there's this elaborate sacrifice system. Exodus 29 is your chapter if you want to go on that deep dive. But blood must be shed. And even then, if they were to meet with God to seek his counsel or favour, it would only be through the high priest, right? High priest, once a year, blood is shed, goes in behind the curtain, communes with God, has access to the Holy of Holies. Now, of course, the people in the Old Testament, they prayed. They knew God. But access is temporary, it's conditional, and it's limited. And so this curtain is key to the access to God. So in Exodus 36 it says this, Put the altar behind the, or in front of the curtain, and that's where I'll meet with you. So it's unfathomable that people would have talked about having a personal relationship with God, or, or having access to the Father, or, or praying in a way where they expected to receive, or to, to enter in. So we come back to Jesus. And in that moment on his death on the cross, where the perfect son of God has shed his blood for us, we read that temple curtain is torn in two. It's amazing, right? The barrier between us and God is broken down. He is saying as clearly as possible that we now have access to our heavenly father. Hebrews 9.26 puts it this way, Jesus has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. The result of that again, Hebrews 10.19, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Access is granted. Amen. And that's why our worship today, when we come to church, we're not putting any big like balls up here and slitting throats and doing sacrifices. It's why our worship when we come to church mostly has to do with praising Jesus for what he has done. Right? 
that, that might actually be the most important thing I say today. Because we've got access to God. Our worship is just about praising the one who spilled his blood on the cross so that we can have a relationship with the Father. So we come and we worship with abandon and reckless praise because he has done it all. He has done it all. Right, so come back to me to this remarkable teaching now from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount about asking, seeking and knocking. And just remember, we have access. So what's this all about? This asking, seeking and knocking. What is the meat of what Jesus is teaching us here? Is he just saying that now we have access? Is he just saying the same thing three different ways? Uh, I don't think so. Firstly, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Asking seems to be about the kind of petitions where you know the will of God. And Jesus says, in these situations, ask your heavenly Father for these things and he will give them to you. A good example is wisdom. Right? I find that's probably one of the biggest prayers that I just have in my life. Like, God, just help me to have wisdom to know what to do. There is so much wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount. There is so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And it reveals the will of God. So we ask for these things, and it says we will be given it, right? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a good prayer. Ask, and you shall receive. You know the will of God, because it's in the Word of God. And if you ask for that wisdom, you shall receive that wisdom. And then once we've received it, all we need to do then is we put it into practice. Secondly, Jesus says, seek, and you will find. Now, seeking seems to refer to pursuing prayer. Okay? The first is about petitioning prayer. This is about pursuing prayer. So we're unsure of the will of God, and so we seek an answer. We pursue God with what we're wanting to find. Does that make sense? And Jesus says in this kind of prayer, if we seek an answer from God, you will find one. You know, the Bible won't tell you who exactly to marry. You know, the Bible won't tell you uh, what job you should do. The Bible won't tell you, you know, where to move to. But there is a sense that if we seek God's will on these things, if we include him into the conversation then we will find a good way. Does that make sense? And so you can do it on your own strength and just decide what you want to decide and go and do your own thing. But, you know, those things which is not like, you know, do not cheat on your spouse. Like that's, a, that's a wisdom thing, right? But, but like the seeking thing of like, well, who should I? Well, just include God in that conversation. Ask Him to be a part of that decision making. Seek his answers. And it says you're fine. Alright, then finally on the, on the meat of this passage, Jesus says, knock and the door will be open to you. So if asking is petitioning prayer, seeking is pursuing prayer, then I think this is called persistent prayer. Who's done some persistent prayer in their life? And that's where you feel you know the will of God, but you haven't seen it yet, you haven't received it yet, so you stay persistent in your prayer. 
You with me? And it's probably the hardest prayer to stick at, to believe in, to keep at. You know, I think of something like James 5.16. It says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Think of a story like Acts 14, where it says Paul saw a lame man, and the lame man had faith to be healed, and we hear that he jumped up and he began to walk. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Because Jesus in this teaching seems to suggest that if we keep knocking, the door will be open to us. And maybe if you haven't seen something that you believe to be God's will happen in your life, the temptation is to give up, right? We're good at giving up. Like, like I'm a world-class quitter. <laughs> and Jesus says, keep knocking. Keep persisting. I guess that leads me to the third and final thing about this passage, and that is, how does this kind of prayer foster our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Particularly as we wrestle with the unanswered prayers in our life. Is this good? Yeah. Right? This is, the, this is the stuff which we, we think about, right? So the second part of the passage, Jesus talks about prayer relating to how a good parent gives good gifts to their children. Verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, so much of the ministry of Jesus is understood as of revealing the character of God and the way to the Father. And in this passage, God is once again described by Jesus, who knows his father intimately, that God is like a father who is eager to help. Jesus says, even though you guys are evil, bit harsh, bit harsh, but you know, like, I'll, I'll put my hand up, I'm pretty messed up. He says, even though you guys give good gifts to your children, he says in prayer, that is how God is too. His desire is to give good gifts to his children. That is you and me. And that's so true, right? My six-year-old son, Luca, he'll ask me to read him a book at night. And I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Why don't we do two books? You know, I'm like, if he asks me to read a book, I'll be like, yeah, let's do it. Or like, my daughter, Hope, will be like, can I have ice cream? And I'll be like, yeah, yep, you can, yep. And I'm going to have one too. <laughs> Right, the tendency of a parent within limits is to say yes. But what makes this complex is maybe prayer doesn't feel this way in some of us. Is that fair? Right, at times the reality kicks against these promises. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe you've been asking for someone to do life with, or you've been asking for healing, or you've been praying for a bad habit to be broken. Right? So we just, we struggle with this. And many of us, then we just don't pray. We stop knocking. We give up. Um, for those with kids, think about your own parenting. You know, you don't say yes to everything, do you? You know, if I said yes to everything my kids asked for, uh, our family would just be on a permanent vacation on the Gold Coast. 
You know, Victoria and I need to be determining what's good for them. So the parent analogy with praying becomes really interesting because Jesus is inviting us to seek prayer as a relational key, but then not as a magic genie. It gets me thinking about the character of God. Is, is what, so is God always listening but not always responding to, to what we think is best? How's it all work? Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he says, Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So why do we even need to ask? Right? I'm just going to leave you with more questions and answers today. I know I've got a bit all over the place, but a lot of this leads me to, to, to how do we view God? Two views, two classic views, right? One view of God is that he is the author and the director of a play that is already written, right? Like it's Shakespeare. And you're watching it, and the, the people in the play, it looks like they're making their decisions and having conversations, and there's scenes of life and drama, and there's real choice. But really, the script is already written, the ending is set in stone. So we might pray, we might make choices, we might think we're in control, but the reality is the outcome is determined as is every step along the way, right? So why would you bother praying? God's just this amazing playwright where the actor's just fulfilling the script. But there's no real... Right? Then the other classic view of God... Are you, is anyone still with me or do you want to go watch the kids' song? Okay, alright. I reckon this is good stuff. Alright. The other classic view of God is that he's like a master chess player. Right? So while the outcome is assured because he's good at chess, <laughs> the game is still open for play. Right? We make our move. God's making his move. Right? God can obviously anticipate 13 moves that we're going to make in advance, but he's still got to respond and he's still got to be subject to our choices. And in this view, we pray because we can make the master chess player change direction, right? He's always making moves in the game of life, but because we're making moves and we've got free choice as to how it all works out, right? Now, for theological nerds, that's a really bad description of Calvinism and Arminianism, right? But the, you know, the problem with both those theological frameworks is... is is, is well, it's the Bible, right? It doesn't fit neatly within either of those frameworks. Uh, I don't think God is the playwright or God is the chess master. Because Jesus gives us a different framework and, and the framework that he gives us is that it's a relationship between a father and his children. One in which God the Father has given his children genuine freedom and choice. And that's why life is such a bumpy ride. Because we're making moves all the time that are outside of the will of God. You know, the condition of the world. But God's sovereign choice is that he's going to fulfill his purposes in this relationship with his children. Right, Victoria and I, we shape our children, we give them real dignity and choice. And aren't they making some crackers at the moment? <laughs> but it wouldn't be a relationship with our children if we just did it all for them. 
And that to me seems to be the story of the Bible. He is going to redeem things. The outcome is certain. But the world is an arena in which we get to choose and we get to obey and follow or reject and go our own way. And what Jesus seems to be suggesting in this prayer is that prayer is crucial to this partnership. The God and Father that we come to know through Jesus, He will give you what is good for you. And sometimes that seems so baffling and beyond our comprehension. Right? You with me? Right? I mean, we're wrestling with this, though. It's not neat. But Jesus says, if you ask, you will receive. If you don't ask, you won't receive. If you seek, you will find. If you, if you knock, the door will be open to you. And the implication is that there may be good things that God will do in and through you if you ask. So your prayers matter. And don't forget, like, like in the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, Jesus has shown us the kind of things that we should be praying for. Right? If we're wondering, it, it, it's actually just on the previous page. You can just flick back and you can see what he wants us to pray for. As the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury, Rowan Williamson, once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I do not pray, coincidences don't happen. Alright, so as I close, this is the last bit I promise. My mind wanders, does not yours too, to Jesus' parable, uh, the story of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So he tells the story of a widow who basically keeps coming to the town judge over and over asking for justice. And basically she bothers the judge so often and so much, even though he's described as an unjust judge, that eventually he gives her the justice and grants her request And Jesus says, that's an unjust judge, so will not God respond if we persist? And how often do we give up way too soon? But the point being, it's an analogy to persistence in prayer. She just keeps knocking. You know, one of the best sermons I ever heard was by Rosemary and Bogo at the Nairobi Pentecostal Church. And on this passage, she basically said... You know, even if I am knocking, even if I am praying, and I am not seeing the breakthrough I so desire, she said, right until the last breath of my life, give me, Lord, the kind of faith that keeps believing, that keeps knocking, and that keeps persisting. And she said, I want to be that kind of Christian. That's the kind of child of God who's got access to the Father. Whom Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.